I guess for our viewers, we should probably say welcome, you know, to the to the next episode of the Art Block podcast. Uh, for those of you listening through Spotify or Apple Music, welcome. Uh, this is obviously also available as a video uh, on our YouTube channel. So feel free to, to subscribe there to the YouTube channel. Not only will you get the latest episodes of the podcast in video format, but you also get things like creative writing lessons and other arts workshops that we teach throughout the year. Again, my name is Luis Antonio Pichardo, founder and executive director of Distill Arts. Distill Arts is a nonprofit arts mentorship organization that inspires, teaches, and hires emerging artists from underserved communities. And here with me is my lovely co-host, Abraham Jaramillo. Shout out How, to Abraham. Hey, what's everybody doing? Uh, my name is Abraham, and I'm part of the Distill Arts family. I'm a teaching artist. And I do photography, design, podcasting, gardening, and a ton of other stuff. <laughs> and today we have uh, Luis's Tokayo. <laughs> Luis. Yeah, my Tokayo Black, Luis. Black Killer. Did I get it right? I mean, <laughs> I guess. Uh, <laughs> no, right? Go for it. Tell me how you pronounce yours. <laughs> yeah, I think it's Black Killer in English. But, you know, I'm, I'm in Mexico. They call me Black Ayer, you know. And oh, okay uh yeah so yeah, i actually was curious about that too like you know como, como se pronuncia bien. oh and by the way for for everybody look, look like watching, i don't know well yeah so anyways for yeah. for everybody watching or listening uh we're probably going to be code switching throughout the interview so we'll try to do it kind of in english you know but do expect us to be like switching back and forth in spanglish so um and you know to to give our special guest today uh, his proper introduction. Here is his bio: uh, Luis Blacayer, aka Cartoon Distortion, is an artist, filmmaker, and small press independent publisher from Mexico City, with an interest in comics, the conservation of ephemeral printed media, public space issues of representation and diversity in popular culture, the life cycles of narrative colonialism and good old-fashioned cinema. During his formative years in Mexico City, he worked as a designer, art director, and storyboard artist in films like Amores Perros, 21 Grams, and Babel. And he holds a master's degree from the MIT Media Lab. Today, Luis lives and works in Los Angeles. Links to support his artistic practice and more information about his books, films, and zines can be found at cartoondistortion.com. So that's like the official intro. Um, and, you know, it's kind of cool, sort of like, you know, by being, being a, or como se diría, like knowing somebody famous by proxy. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, it's pretty cool. Amores Perros happens to be one of my favorite films of all time. So, yeah, and I have stories about that one. It sounds, you know, I was like, ah, oh, is this, I always, I always feel very self-conscious when I write bios, and I always feel like they sound like, you know, terrible. But it sounds great when you read it. I have to say, I, I was like, wow, that actually sounded good. Um, when I read it in my head, I'm just like, oh my god, did I say the right things? You know, that's that's fine. You did a great job. Thank you. <laughs> well, thank you. I've been told I'm a good reader. Yep. <laughs> 
No, but you know, I mean, in that though, like it, it is pretty cool to um have someone as our second or technically first guest for the Art Block podcast. Um, you know, for our second episode, somebody that's uh, obviously been working in the industry in different ways, and um, you know, it's definitely an honor having you on. So, uh, so thank you for taking the time to to talk to us. I mean, thank you, and likewise, I'm I'm honored to be here as well. You know, like really, uh, um, it's a delight uh, to be able to have these kind of conversations and share stuff together. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, to, I guess, uh, also shout out how we met, right. How we were able to get in touch with each other is yeah. the, you know, the print Pomona art book fair happened a couple of weeks ago, uh, here in Pomona slash Claremont and, uh, Luis, my tocayo here happened to be our neighbor, uh, at the event. So, you know, shout out to them for, for obviously creating the, the community, the space and bringing us together. Um, y de casualidad, ¿cómo te fue ese día o ese fin de semana? Muy bien, muy bien. Uh, I, I, I really enjoyed the uh, Print Pomona Art Book Fair event. Uh, in my opinion, the uh, assortment of uh, vendors that were in participating there, like me and you and everyone else, uh, the level of diversity and the quality and like range of interest in the content that was presented there was I, I it was really really impressive and i had a really good time uh, just meeting everybody that was participating there as a vendor um so that was probably what i liked the most about it and and you know there's always the interaction with the people that go there that want to get our printed products and whatnot, um, which was pretty good too. But I really, really liked uh, the, 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 the group of uh, publishers and artists that came together that day. That was, that was like a treat within itself, I think. Yeah, Since we're on, on the subject, um, I remember you brought your daughter the first day to help you with the booth and also promote some of her beautiful work. She also has like a little cartoons, right? Uh, and yeah. mini scenes, right? Yeah. So I guess my question is like, how do you um, work that kind of a, from being an artist to passing it down? Because now you have a daughter that's also an artist. That's a question for me too. Uh, I'm, we're, 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 you know, we're trying to figure that out as, as, as we speak, right? Uh, you know, there's the artistic practice. It's different for everybody, and uh, and and there's definitely uh, you you see this with 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 children a lot. There's a very there's a very big difference between approaching it as a fun thing to do versus something that you have to take seriously and turn into a thing that you're gonna put out there for others to appreciate or consume or critique or whatever, right? So you start to deal with, uh, um, when you when you do that, you start to deal with things like, you know, issues of like, you know, well, it's not as fun. In, and uh, when, when you're having to do it all the time, like it becomes a little bit of a chore. Uh, also, you know, like confidence and, self-trust and all that is like 
you start to think about whether your stuff is you know going to be liked or not and things like that so it's it's interesting but uh i don't have an answer for you in 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 that regard is for us uh, a process that we enjoy and that we struggle at the same time a little bit with uh you know it's uh we started doing it uh you know she just to give everybody some some background on that you know uh, she's always been interested in uh drawing and sequential storytelling you know taking pictures filming and you know uh making cartoons uh she has grown up around me and my wife, which works in film and television. So, you know, it's kind of like around us all the time. So naturally she takes it. Um, but, but I believe she's pretty good. And uh, and we've always just been doing it like, like just for fun, you know, just draw and whatever, you know, make little movies and Halloween, all those kinds of things, right? But uh, during the pandemic, uh, Right before the pandemic, I'd say I I I decided to take the scene making uh, endeavor seriously and start making scenes and try to you know I've 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 been going to scene fairs and art book fairs for a while, but I was doing it as a kind of like a customer and fantasizing about what I could do, you know, taking it as inspiration and then then then. Than, than just not doing it, right? Like having jobs that, you know, just you do that. Uh, and at some point in 2019, I was like, I'm just going to do this. I have all this work from like decades ago up until now. I can start kind of curating it and organizing it in some like concepts that I think are cool to share as little books like scenes. So I did that. And then I applied to LA Sinfest uh, for the first time in 2019 to join 2020, and uh, you know the, the the pandemic happened, and it was kind of like boom, like nowhere to go for a while. But the interesting thing that happened there was that a lot of Sinfests started doing virtual Sinfests. Uh, so all of a sudden, in spite of the you know tragic series of events that you know came after the or with the pandemic uh you could just uh participate on a simfest anywhere uh without having to go there which makes it you know in some way sometimes easy right like you don't have to travel to where the simfest is because it's all virtual so i started participating in those and i was enjoying it and i was really into that and at the same time pandemic right uh, maya the kid she was taking her classes in Zoom, you know, right there in the kitchen, like over there. Um, and I was basically inside her virtual classroom all the time, just working and, you know, having my meetings here at the same time kind of thing. And one day she's having an art class and the 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 art teacher goes like, uh, hey, we're gonna make a, we're gonna make a scene today. And I was like, wait, what? So I, I jumped in and joined her and she made her scene for the class uh which uh you know uh turned out to be this one over here like uh, queen kitty adventures and i made another one at the same time which is this one using the same character she was coming up with which is annie einstein adventures right and uh and it was so fun that i was like this is cool and i'm making this like making these appearances in this infest i'm gonna print a few and just kind of like push them in there and then 
uh, San Francisco Sinfest, I think 2022 or something like that, or 2021. No, 2021. Yeah, 2022. We that's last year we went there live. Uh, San Francisco Sinfest 2021. She joined me in the Zoom and presented her thing. She had a pretty good time. So we were like, okay, let's keep doing it. So it became kind of like a thing that we now do. Uh, but I don't have an answer on like, okay, this is how you develop that because it's a struggle, right? It's it's great, but you know, it's like sometimes if I don't if I don't kind of like make her do it, she wouldn't do it, and and that's like something that happens more now that is a thing than before when it wasn't, right? It's it's like an interesting thing with kids. So I I don't know. Uh, to me, it's a question as well as to you i think it's yeah it's, that's 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 the answer i mean that's basically you are developing this also as a relationship with father and daughter yeah. as well as the artistic link that you guys have together which is really interesting right yeah and i love that you mentioned it uh now so this is the point where you have to show like what the fun part of it and put it more towards that side instead of the job thing, the repetitiveness of it, or they have to do it. It certainly have to do it to a certain level as well, right? Because that's one of the questions Luis also most of the time you ask, like, how do you keep it entertaining? How do you keep yourself uh, interested in art, right? How do you inspire yourself? And that's a good thing because I see that you you have a lot of uh, skills in different media and how do you switch from different ones? Probably it's one of your ways of uh, doing that, right? Like. How do you keep yourself entertained and having fun, not just, I have to do this? Yeah, I, I don't know. To me, there's a there's a very big difference. Then, you know, you we went from like what it is to just do something for fun, like, you know, sketching a notebook or like, you know, you know, whatever you want to take pictures with your phone to... I I wanna I wanna I wanna turn it into an artistic practice in which I have something to say and I'm trying to express it and develop it and share it with the world and all that kind of stuff. But there's another there's there's another thing that has to do with utilizing that practice and those skills in a way that is not it's also kind of like serious, but it also doesn't doesn't include in many cases the space where you have an ability to actually do what you want which is the 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 professional craftsmanship of like the artistic jobs right which is when you're hired to do something and there's a big range on those things like you can you could commission me for like a cover for your magazine like we've talked about and there will be there will be there will be freedom there for sure, right? It's not, it's not it's 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 a lot more freedom than what I would get if I am commissioned by Procter and Gamble to make an illustration for their new diapers box, right? So like depends on where people land. Uh, it could be like depending on their personalities, also more or less fun to to or more or less interesting. To, to to do to do the art right and uh, something that uh, has always been difficult for me is to find the spaces in which in which I can actually be myself rather than being utilized as a skill set for like the execution of some um, commercial endeavor even when it's artistic right like if you're working on uh, movies for example like 
and they are works of art in many cases. A lot of them are just entertainment, right? But some of them are. But when you're working in a movie at the worker level, say in the art department, oftentimes you're just churning through what's required by someone else to execute their vision, right? So you, you do have kind of like not necessarily the freedom to be yourself and to pursue your 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 vision or your need to express certain ideas right so it's it's always kind of like i i don't know if the skills like navigating through like a series of skills uh uh has been more i think it's in my case might be more of a trap because i'm useful to others in many ways than than something that lets me explore many things in, in many times sometimes Sometimes what I yearn for is like a space where I can focus on something and 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 do it right. Um, so it's it's uh, it's interesting that way. Yeah, that's that's, that's definitely interesting. Uh, Luis, do you, do you have a question before? Yeah, well, yeah, I just you know something that you just said really stood out to me that you know sometimes it feels like a trap, you know, being so useful, I guess, in a way to to other people and your talents, um, but. It, it it is fascinating to hear you talk about you know the the challenges of working as a working artist while at the same time balancing your own like say approaches or your own personal interests in your artwork and i'm curious you know what is what is it that you would say is aside from what was in your in your bio you know what is one of the the themes that maybe uh you you feel is always calling you back because I, I feel like a lot of us as artists are always drawn to something that that we're constantly exploring. Um, and sometimes we can see that over our lifetime. Sometimes it takes even longer, you know, to to see that. But um, but what is it that that you feel most draws you back in terms of themes or inspirations? Um I I, I think a lot of that uh might might have to do with uh uh my childhood experience of uh of uh, probably life in the streets of mexico city a little bit i think a lot comes from that and it has to do with uh i i developed a curiosity and a very intense relationship very early on in my life with uh, with ephemeral printed media, which is mentioned in my bio. Which uh, it's uh, it's very hard to experience not nowadays, even in, in 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 cities that have a booming public life, because it's been replaced by m many other media after the 1990s. But um, when I grew up, uh, wherever you would go, uh, there were, I mean, the internet didn't exist, right? The replacement for the internet were like printed publications that were just plastered around you everywhere. And, and you had access to a certain degree of globalized culture that way, as well as to a certain degree of uh, kind of like media that went uh, across genders and across social classes and across the ages, right? There, you're a kid and you're in front of the newsstand and you see all this stuff, right? You think you see all this like 
stuff that comes from other places like you know superhero comics and then you have like your mexican comics that back then existed like historietas right uh you know you have the ones for the kids and the ones for the um for they were always divided like this these are specialized for ladies and these are specialized for like adult guys and you know all those kinds of things and then there's the other stuff that wasn't that and i was just absorbing all that while living in the city and i think i started to develop uh 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 not even knowing it uh uh uh, uh a, a curiosity for this like sort of like boundless world in which all these like stories that were presented to me visually like took place and things that I was not supposed to know about as a kid, you know, in in in, in Mexico City at the time there were a lot of like 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 really crude kind of like erotica stuff right out there for little kids to see. And you don't you could not grab them, but it was in your face, right? Which is kind of like um and something that you don't see sometimes in other countries right it's kind of like you like you go to get your own jerry and there's a hostler like that happens a lot in mexico city or it used to happen like when i was a kid like and then the 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 crime magazines you know like uh there were also the time there so you start to see this like pastiche of like genres that is exposed to you as a reality while well, well, you live in a city like that and 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 this i i think this boundless conception uh took me to a place where somehow i i i got lost a little bit and and i i find myself always looking at okay what's in the like all these all these things what's in between them right and um and you know today that resonates to me triple or more because i'm an immigrant so i'm like not not from here not from there anymore i'm like somewhere in the i'm like a citizen of a border if you will or like anti-citizen or whatever you want to call it so i think that's a very uh uh it's a source of inspiration that resonates with me a lot which is uh looking for what's at the edges or like under the table or in between things at the peripheries and uh, things like that i think that's that's something that i i i i always i'm, I'm curious about like uh thinking of like where is it like how does it come to be and what are the stories could be that could be like inspired or imagery that could be inspired by that that somehow um i think we tend to not look that way uh often but um yeah. I, I i i i'm it's i like to do that if answering to answer your question that's i think where uh, a lot of my inspiration comes from even you know doing this thing where we're like uh you try to work with your own kid you know it's it's part of that it's like where is that space in between where we can collaborate you know uh uh, yeah. so, so many things came to my mind as you were talking about like the uh the historietas you know from the like 80s 90s you know and um like so to give you a little bit of background on me you know i actually was born and raised in san diego um and i used to go over the border all the time to tijuana as a little boy and then also my dad is from uh the state of queretaro in a small little town. <clears throat> so I used to go almost every year as a little boy. And I remember the first time that I actually found an historieta 
from uh, que, que era de uno de mis tíos. And like you said, you know, it was one of those where like it wasn't for little kids, mm -hmm. you know. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I don't remember exactly the que era, pero you know, no, no era para niños, you know. Let's just say that. Um, and you know. Uh, seeing that and comparing it to like the X-Men comics or the Batman comics that I used to uh, love as a little boy, you know, for me, it was, it was like, whoa, there's a whole other world out there, you know, where these things are, are like the same style, you know, uh, the same sort of concept, but they, they are used in so many different ways. And uh, yeah, I, I definitely understand what you're talking about. Y luego también, I mean, it's a pretty common thing to hear the the phrase ni de aquí ni de allá you know when you're when you're mm -hmm. latino latinx or whatever and you're living in the united states because you're not exactly part of the american culture in some ways but then you're also sometimes not considered part of your native culture either so that that space in between is a is a fascinating space to me and it sounds like it is to you too um yeah. And it, it's everywhere, you know. It was it it was it was there for me in Mexico uh, as well, right? In Mexico, it's like you can you can you can see like Mexico. I mean, it's a caste system in some ways, right? Um, and 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 you can see that. And if 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 you grow up somewhat like working class, lower middle class, you you have a you have a you, you see that. But then you 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 could easily kind of like end up in a place where you're in the middle between two like uh, Mexico's, mm -hmm. you know that that exists as well. It's it's uh, I, the, the historietas are a perfect example for that because for the most time, like for the longest time, even up to day, um, even up to this day, historietas most of them except for the ones for kids like i don't know super sabios or something like that most of them were made for the people in mexico that lives more at the working class level of like economic resources right the people that were more like upper middle class or more they wouldn't even you know look at them they would get them from europe or they would read mafalda or things from america or like that so it's interesting that there's this in betweens everywhere uh you know even in mexico like in, uh, in mexico i felt similarly like this uh, this in betweens hmm. it's interesting that you mentioned this media yeah kind of situation because i noticed on your uh, instagram you have this Aram passport yeah kind of image And that also reminded me of one of my, well, I used to have a coworker from Bulgaria and he always said like, I'm a citizen of the world. Because again, he didn't feel he was from Bulgaria anymore. And he was kind of trying to find a place without calling them, this is who I am. It's basically living it open, right? But it's a thing that you kind of discover once you move out of your country. I think you start finding, oh, there's more to it. And I don't think everybody has that capability of coming out of the box and saying, okay, he used to that. And that also um, well, brings me to the question. Um, can you tell me more about this uh, Del Defectuoso, por favor? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. Uh, but before I do that, uh, mm -hmm. I, bring me back if I go too far, because that could happen. Uh, because 
Yeah, you were just talking about the ideas around the, you know, what is what what is the reason for the 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 concept of nation and what is it used for and uh, you know nowadays you know what nations are for they are basically a global caste system right it's like you belong to this country you're a better class human kind of thing that's that's how they work but they are also they are also built upon us as like sources of identity i belong to this you know it's kind of like almost like i believe in these gods or whatever you know so it's an interesting thing uh this report that you mentioned uh i'm gonna do a little shout out here is you know a project for somebody that also was with us at the uh Omona art book fair which is the falls from Aaron press they are like exploring these kind of questions a lot they just recently uh put together an event called no borders um which i participated in a panel for just talking about these kind of issues and and what is it to be a citizen of where and could there be a better concept like a sort of like uh you know anti-citizenship that were was able to transcend that and effectively you know embrace the idea that we are all you know have inhabitants of some kind of border one way or the other the fact is, you know, it's kind of, I mean, the history of humanity is a history of migration. You know, there were no, like, people did not evolve in this continent. You know, they didn't. People came here and people just move around. And that's that's how we are where we are. So it's, it's okay. Maybe the more natural way of thinking about that uh, requires that we reimagine how things are all, like, set up and put together at a, you know international policy level means like not throw away the nations but like what's actually what's actually needed from them as a you know organizing concept that creates these notions of identity how can it be better now before weeks i can just go crazy about this <laughs> i'll just stop there i think it was a good moment <laughs> uh of a little shout out and also you guys should check that out it's uh it looks like you're interested in this idea so um there's 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 more there and uh well yeah go- definitely shout out to aaron press as they, they they did invite distal arts to um, participate in the no borders uh zine fest but unfortunately we couldn't couldn't go that day it happens you know it's like all the time but it was a great event it was cool i was uh djing cumbias which was also yeah um uh but going back to the effect also uh which i have right here this is a collection of scenes that uh, i started putting together uh in 2020 uh for la sinfest 2020 was the first time i was gonna have this ready but la sinfest 2020 uh was postponed um but coming back in 23, uh, full force, we're going to be there, which is great. And the idea behind this uh, is that uh, I've been I've been a passionate. Uh, uh, These are some of the images of it, the effect also that you sent me, I believe. Uh, that's kind of like a table presentation. Uh, I've been a, I, 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 I've embraced the... Uh, passionately the pedestrian life everywhere I go I even tried it in LA but LA is the one city where like I found that it was you know kind of like out of scope (laughs) to be a pedestrian for me Uh, and I ended up doing less pedestrian stuff here in LA but 
in Mexico City, where I lived all my life until 2006, and uh, where I kept coming back to like a couple of times a year up until the pandemic started, um, is a very photogenic city in terms of the street photography. So I, I, I've, I've been taking pictures in Mexico City all my life. I've always go and like wherever I go, I have a camera in my pocket or in a backpack or whatever. Now we'll have it in the phone. So just take pictures and pictures and pictures of moments that I find uh, curious or memorable in some way. And, uh, you know, you've been doing that for 35 years. Uh, all of a sudden you realize you have a very vast archive that could potentially have some value if you kind of properly curate it and present it. Um, so I was going through these photos and I also uh, learned because of my explorations about the world of things, I learned about the risograph printers and uh, I started to realize that if I, if I took the low fidelity output of the risograph printers, and combine it with some of these photographs that might be very good captures of a very particular moment, but maybe not taken with the best camera, not taken at the best resolution. Once you pair them together and you think about uh, something that could somewhat resemble those printed publications that I could find in the newsstands of Mexico City back in the 1970s or the 1980s, then I could create some kind of like printed object like a like a publication that could somewhat pay homage and resemble those publications and at the same time talk about the world where they existed in some ways which is the streets of mexico city in this case uh, so that that's that's how it was born i'm i'm just going through like this gigantic archive of stuff and organizing it in some way that's uh somewhat narrative but somewhat lyrical there's no words in these publications they are all just pictures and uh, and you just see like what's around you if you walk around the city and uh, you know like could be you know landscapes uh, this this one here the 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 back cover of number 1 is uh kind of like neighborhood that grew out of the bottom of a barranca that's next to the house where I grew up. And there was a river there and there were some like illegal settlements. Uh, They're called paracaidistas down there. And it just kept going. And all, like over the couple of decades, it became a town that's now completely functional. You can drive through it and there's tacos there. There's like a street market on Sundays, all kinds of things. So um, um, it's it, it's it's interesting. So there's all these things that are just there. I'm just kind of like collecting them and trying to create a, like a story of the city that spans, you know, like my life experience pretty much. Like it's a, a elementary school in San Cosme. Like I was walking down the street to go somewhere right at the time when they rang the exit bell. And these two kids just come out, storming out of the school, and I just went, boom, you know. And, you know, they are probably 35 years old today. You know, it's like, it's like funny. So it's just a way for me to kind of uh, 
share that life experience in, in a very visual manner and uh, make a match of these publications and also bring my photographic practice to life in, in a way that I believe is uh, unique and suited to how I express myself. That's, well, you I'll, mentioned, I'll, sorry. Um, Oh, well, I was just going to say, like, I, I love that, you know, you're, it's almost like coming back full circle, you know, uh, which, yeah, for for our current um, art blog zine that we're currently accepting submissions for, that's the theme, intertextuality, and, and I think what you're talking about does kind of tie in with that theme of, you know, how do we have conversations with the work that inspires us, and I I, I love the fact that you're that you're looking at your publications as a way of paying homage to to what inspired you as a as a, as a youth you know um so I, I think it's great and you know also as a fan of street photography myself i i really liked those those uh zines in particular so you know you got a fan right here man <laughs> yeah no thank you i i am actually you know uh I, 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 you know, I, I, I can brag like about it. It's like I'm very proud of how they came out, and they, they feel like very solid. And you know, I, I put out like four of them. I, I, I want to try and keep putting them out. You know, for like, you know, the, maybe a hundred. I don't know. And then, and then, and then, and then, if they do well, I could have like, like some larger book kind of thing like yeah this like you know there's the intertextuality right there right it's kind of oh yeah totally yeah talking about and this one is not that old this is a picture i took uh probably 2013 or 2012 right so you know because uh the speed at which things unfold in different places of the world is different right so and in 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 mexico city that the ephemeral printed media and like held on to a life for like way more of a longer span than in cities of the u.s where um you know even in the early 2000s it was like try and find a new stand in la yeah you could go to kind of you know um is delay and then you will find them there yeah, i remember that like in the or in the fashion district near downtown you know you could see some of those back then but today i don't know if you could find any of that around here yeah it's definitely harder now yeah yeah, yeah and i do find fascinating that um for example for me I, I always try to print as bigger quality as i can right like i'm always looking for the crispest and colorful and all that, but um, I love the fact that you are using basically the type of printing to bring it back to the style that you're looking for, the ephemeral part that you're talking about, the, the new stands and the things that are as badly printed. But then it also makes the story behind the picture a little more into, instead of the people focusing on the details or the, um, the technique or whatever, they're looking for what's going on in the picture. It kind of becomes a narrative, right? And also brings back what you were talking about, the newsstand. So that's a lot of three things going into one. It's a nice concept. Really I think, yeah, because because it looks like it looks like a picture that you saw in the newspaper a little more, or in or in a, one of those uh, 
uh, Yellow Pages uh, crime magazines. Uh, or what's the name of that New York guy? It was very famous, Ouija or Squeegee or something like that. I used to do crime photography back in the day. Uh, we had uh, our own in Mexico City called uh, Metinides. Uh, he was also, you know, the classic guy that's always right there with his camera when something really horrible happened and and you know and they you know they do that for four decades and their own their whole their whole thing becomes a vast archive of like an aspect of life in the city in the same way um so that is cool um it, it does do that uh and it also you know as a printmaker gives you an opportunity to play with things in a way that is uh kind of like very artistic it's like that kind of thing you know like throwing in like somebody like Andy Warhol in there that you know he would he was he was he would he would mess up screen printing in such a good way in such a good manner that elevated it to the fine arts in a way that nobody else could have done it before because the 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 the, the mistakes or the 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 low fidelity of his printmaking process became the visual language that he was using to you know express himself in some way um and some of this can happen with the risograph printers because uh in spite of them being low fidelity uh the the quality of the inks and papers that you have access to actually in some ways uh uh transcend the range that you can use uh, in like more fine-tuned uh, traditional ways of uh, uh, printing books. You know, like if you print a photography book, you might use um, the CMYK or whatever, and it gives you like these perfect colors and this very crisp photography. But in the, and, and this that you're showing right now, it's interesting because I'm playing with the same color palette that in the Defectuoso. Uh, and with the Risograph printer, you can choose from a range of inks and you can swap them in and out. And uh, and uh, the curious thing about that is, uh, for example, in this case, I I went with uh, with uh, with a turquoise color, which is a sort of a bright teal, which is kind of greenish, uh, scarlet. Uh, so I'm using I'm using the official colors of Mexico to print photography about Mexico in a way that I can kind of trick your eye into believing that there's the Full spectrum of colors there in some way uh, and you can see that it's not really true you know see you don't see any blues you know you don't see any yellows but the photography is still very rich and it, it has this duotone quality that is very very typical of that era in which because you know they were doing ephemeral printed media that was supposed to be utterly disposable they would print it with two colors instead of like three or four, you know, to save money. But uh, once it becomes an aesthetic choice, uh, it's it, it's a different thing to play with. Uh, this one's uh, that you're showing now is another scene. This is more based on my illustration work uh, and, and cartoons, and it's called Pink Punk, and it's also two colors. Uh, and you can see what I'm talking about. If if you remember uh, one of the magazines that were the the historietas that were very popular in the newsstands in Mexico City when I was growing up was another Argentine export, just like uh, import, I say, like Mafalda, uh, called Condorito. Uh, if you've ever seen Condorito, that's uh, orange and black. And, and and just what they used to do with that thing was like pretty beautiful. And it's not something that's unique. You can 
you can find that across the board in uh, this kind of publications everywhere, including the US, like all those humor magazines for adults, uh, again, with, uh, you know, um, with uh, with uh, not for children themes and all that, they were printed that way in many cases, uh, just two colors and, and you play with those. Um, yeah, so that's, that's cool about that uh, low fidelity uh, that, uh, in case of the Riso, you have a lot of flexibility to play with it, like uh, in a way that you can really explore this, uh, this, 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 this textures and and these modes of uh, reproduction from from back then. You can really really dive into the into the into the style of the printed media of that era. Um, on the newsstands. Now you showed a couple of things that were more fine arts printmaking that are also related to all these, but uh, uh, I don't know. That, that's kind of like a it, it's it's not sideways, but it's a subject matter that expands a little bit of their whole thing, uh, if you will. Yeah, I'm kind of curious to what degree do you think about the final product as you're creating the like say like the raw version. Or the sketching well it depends it depends uh in the case of some of the scenes that you have shown uh ping pong and defectuoso uh, those are those are works that have been adapted from vast archives so the works oftentimes uh you know the photography was normal and then i had to create duotones and color grade them in a way that uh, benefited the publication. So I went from a photograph a photograph that was not conceived that way to something that fit that. So it was not something that was thought of ahead of time. And with the ping pong illustration one, it's a similar thing that uh, goes to uh, recover a collection of illustration and cartoon strips that I have been producing for like a couple of decades as well. And the same way they were they were not conceived as ever being a part of an illustration publication that was going to be printed with two colors on a risograph printer. So I had to take them and then adapt them to that. So again, the idea was not there from the beginning. But uh, when 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 you look at these ones, for example, the little mini scenes, uh, these ones, these ones are uh you know, these ones are, you know, it's like a little origami from like a single sheet of paper that then you basically, uh, uh, um, what's the word for that? Fold. Fold into a book. Yeah. So uh, this one, the way it starts is I made the book, I made the blank book first. So I get the piece of paper, I fold it and cut it, and then I have the book and it's blank. And then I just draw, draw and write in it a bunch of times until I find how to tell the story within that format. So in this case, it's the opposite, right? I know exactly where I have to land even before I start thinking about what the story is about. So it depends. Uh, it depends. That, that, that is a good example of the opposite process, really. Yeah. And again, that goes back to your curse, as you put it, <laughs> the ability to be flexible, having damaged skills. Yeah. And that helps you to look, okay, this project, I'm going to approach it this way, or this project, I'm going to basically recycle it into this project using these parameters, right? 
yeah. which is interesting. And I love that you also have Lino cuts. Do you have any uh, stories on Lino cuts or how do you get into it? I know it's really popular. I think Luis has done it as well. Yeah. Uh, um, that goes, um, that's, 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 that, that starts as a, a long story. You know, back in Mexico City, some of my friends went to the art school there, La Esmeralda or like Escuela Nacional de Artes Plásticas. And some of them, you know, became professional fine artists uh, with specialization in printmaking and whatnot. But I kind of was, you know, circulating around them, and I, 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 I did some of my own printmaking, fine arts printmaking endeavors back then in the late '90s, early 2000s, mostly centered around kind of like giant screen printing. But I did some, I did some etching work in Oaxaca in 2002 or 2003, in like a. And the Oaxaca, the city of Oaxaca and the surroundings, they have this like really rich tradition of like printmaking. And there are there are shops there that are, you know, some of the best in the world, the world for like tradition uh, printmaking techniques that are, you know, the way Rembrandt used to do it, right? It, it's it's like there's an artistic practice there that's a uh, delight to experience that is unique to 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 Oaxaca uh, so I, I I spent a year there and I really enjoyed doing some matching but you know I, I was kind of like passing by uh, but always having this 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 interesting in the the the, the 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 printed image the the work of art in the age of the mechanical reproduction as Walter Benjamin once put it right and it, you know that you think about processes like Linacot or Woodcut or, you know, aquatin touching, you go a hundred, a couple hundred years back, and those things were the Photoshop of the time, right? They were revolutionizing the ways in which you could put images in, in the printed media, and not just the text with the with the letterpress or the movable type, but also images. And and there was a time, and they were like, you know, yeah, etching is the thing, but then here's uh Here's uh, lithography. It's a lot easier, and etching started to become something like arcane and something that more specialized for fine artists and things like that. Uh, but always having a interested both in these, you know, things that you see in the newsstand and and that what's the reproduced media. You know, some of some of them now are on screen. So always kind of having that curiosity um, around, um, and then. Very recently, last year, I think, uh, doing the scene thing, you know, using Instagram extensively to connect with other people that are doing these kinds of things, I stumbled upon a call to action for a residency at a printmaking shop here in LA called uh, Chayote Press, which is run by... Uh, Chicano artist called Israel Campos that uh, that uh, lives and works here in LA. And uh, I applied and uh, he liked my, I was talking to him about uh, combining, uh, combining sources of inspiration from the Taller de Grafica Popular in the early 20th century and Mexican muralism with uh, superhero comic books and Lucha Libre and things like that to come up with something that could talk about not belonging to anywhere. 
uh, in a visual manner. And he liked it. He got me in and we started this process of producing these prints. And he's been commissioning us to do, okay, or like tasking us, the different people that are part of this residency, tasking us to do, okay, do a linocut, now do a woodcut, now do a etching, uh, with the purpose of kind of getting familiarized with his shop and with the printmaking processes. Some of these artists, it's the first time that they do printmaking. And then at the end, put together a portfolio with the work of everybody talking about the subject matter of it's called uh, Borderlands. That's the name of the residency. So it's about borders. Um, Is that one of the pieces that has, it's like a mural and it has a, like a border and a women with fire on top. Is that part of the pro the same program you were talking about? Yes, that's that's my that's my final piece for that. And the other the other two that I think I also shared with you, you'll see kind of the subject matter is always uh, people that are wandering somewhere in a nondescript space, and uh, oftentimes accompanied by a very large body of a woman. In this case, that 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 could be. Uh, metaphorical representation of the landscape or nature okay this one or this one yeah like the, that one for example that one uh or the one that's too too down yeah that one yeah that one and really muralist i can see inspiration there you oh, can yeah. see the, the cicadas hardcore yes. right but you can also see the the you know the little like cartoon cartoon characters around her. You know, there's these two characters that look like minions a little bit. Uh, <laughs> and those, those, for example, are representative uh, of uh, of the laws of capitalism in a way. And you can see them. There's all these naked people wandering around between walls and pipelines. And and and, and these, these characters are just trying to convince them to gamble in some way. And and and, and it's 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 very somewhat mysterious, but that's what it's about, is people just wandering through uh, this predetermined space in which they don't know what they are looking for. Yeah. Yeah, I really like that piece. Yeah, it's very striking. Definitely, you can see the uh, cicadas. Yeah, still working on it. It's been a pain in the ass. I got it right. It was like perfect. And then I wanted to do this little thing, and I made a mistake with one of the chemicals. And I kind of, I kind of erased it a little bit, so I had to work it up again. And I'm in the process of doing that. So the final one is gonna look a little different than that, but it's the same. Like behind me, you can see that's the copper plate because I've yeah. been working um, for the last couple of days with this uh, with uh, this thing, which is called the dry point of Punta Seca. And you use this once you're done. You realize that maybe maybe some tones are not exactly where you were and you have to go there and you just kind of like get them to work so that's that's what i've been doing right now um this morning this morning has been a lot of punta seca work <laughs> which is great yeah i love that stuff that's cool it's always nice when you can you know obviously do things that excite you and you know get you get you motivated i did have one last question for you you know and this is more like como como tipo de motivación o, o palabras motivadoras para para el público, you know what? What would you um, like? What kind of message would you want to give 
people who are you know maybe just starting off in their career as artists you know what is what is something that you learned as a as a young artist um that eventually got you to be a working artist you know what is some some piece of advice que, que nos puedes dar aquí mm. Um, well, we can edit the pauses, right? I gotta think about it a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> come frutas y verduras, lavense los dientes. <laughs> Don't do what I did. That kind of. <laughs> no, I'm I'm thinking that's it. It's 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 difficult, you know, because I'm still trying to I'm still trying to I'm still trying to be a working artist, right? I often I often. I, you know, I'm, I, I have to go do jobs to keep doing it, you know, in, in many ways. Uh, uh, so I, I'd say maybe the, I mean, the, perhaps the, the important thing to do early on, which I actually think I did not do, is to ask yourself very, very earnestly, ask yourself very earnestly, where is it the where where is it where is it that you wanna end up and what is it that you wanna say and 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 try to try to you're not gonna find an answer to that question that's the question that you keep always asking but 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 asking yourself that question will probably help you set your priorities better and of course everybody's situation is different right and some of us have to deal with stuff that are part of life that some of us don't. And some of us have a harder time just finding the place where we can actually, you know, live off making our own art in some way that benefits our community. But being able to being able to have that goal uh, very clearly outlined for yourself as you go along and let it, you know, evolve with you as you go. Uh, will help you probably navigate the negotiations that you have to take with uh, other instances of your practice that might be more, uh, you know, professional craftsman artists along the way, just producing work so that you can get the box so that you can keep going. Um, so I don't know if that was very inspiring, but it's a, it's a learning that took me a lot of years to 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 get to uh so i i i i hope it might be useful for somebody out there i know i mean it's useful for me to always think about that so if it's useful for me it has to be useful for someone else you know yeah yeah, yeah. um any last question abraham hmm, says we cover a, a lot um that's and you already kind of said this one but it might as well be a good chance to tell us who is an artist they usually come back to either music, movies, poetry, paintings, etc. Uh, it's it's you know I, I I music, movies, comic books, literature, uh, history. I I really like uh, to explore aspects of history. Um, especially on the fringe again, like you know, we're going through we're go going through a period of time, last decades or whatever, in which a lot of a lot of a lot of the a lot of the 
preconceptions of like education history are being challenged by like interpretations that are closer to what really happened. And that's very interesting for me to explore. I think as we move forward into the 21st century, it is very important that we understand the value of education, both as a something that we need to learn how to do right and as something that is both necessary, but at the same time problematic when it becomes institutionalized by bureaucracies that reinforce narratives that will not get us where we need to go. Like we need to change the world very quickly as a humanity right now. And, and you know, if we keep being educated into being productive, the capitalist way, I don't know where we're gonna end up. You know, it's it's that kind of thing. You know, when I grew up, uh, when I when I grew up, I I was educated by the Mexican um, Secretaría de Educación Pública, uh, like everyone else, into believing that you know we were a nation that was born of the mix of two cultures, right? That kind of thing, and that Spanish was the official language, and all the other languages that were here before were dead at this point. Uh, both of which are not true because there were as many cultures in the in the region that we now call Mexico and Central America as there were in Europe at the time, right? And like 60% of the inhabitants of Mexico, and, and I don't know exactly this number, but the, the Spanish is their second language at best. So it's kind of like these languages are alive, and and when you when when you know when you live in the city, you don't understand that you you, you grow up believing that. This is what your world is. Uh, so, um, so that's uh, that kind of diverged. But I like to educate myself, and it's difficult for me to 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 point out an exact source of inspiration. I just love uh, all forms of human expression. I didn't even talk about science right now or things like that. You know. Um, I think we could all, si, si, nos, si estuviéramos juntos, we'd all be like nerding out. It sounds oh, yeah. like it. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost no, no, Abraham. Like we always talk about, you know, the importance of history and, you know, que es necesario entender lo que ha pasado para no repetir los, los errores, right? That's, we, we, I don't know. I, I, I think that we can't also be so arrogant as to think that our own ideas are original because they're not, you know, everything under the sun has already been attempted. It's just now how your voice is going to come through those, those, those different attempts. No. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it doesn't have to be something new. It just has to be important to what you have to say. Yes. It's important to you. It's important to the world around you. It's, you know, it's... like that you mentioned, that's the part of re rewriting history, right? Because I think that's the first part to, as a society, start changing, like the changes of basically who you are and what country are you from kind of situation. It starts from that, from the beginning. Who were yeah. we first, right? And how we end up where we are, that's kind of the big question. And how do we move forward? Because if you don't have those two first, you're never going to know where to go. Because you you don't know where you came from. If you have already stepped on that shit, basically, you don't want to do it again, right? Yeah, I mean, hopefully, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the hope. 
Okay. Yeah, well, I mean, you guys, anytime, you know, I know we want to talk about other forms of collaboration. So you whenever we can do some hanging out and nerding out, I'm down. Yeah. Oh, yeah. show. <laughs> yeah, we're always we're always open to it. As Masi, you know, I, I actually uh, uh, I pulled out my my Nikon EM. I got this one uh, for oh, nice. bought it for myself for Christmas. Yes, the um, I have a bunch of new film that that I just bought too. So I definitely want to go out shooting. So I lost this. I have a old F two that I've had since eighty six, and still use it. Nice, nice. <laughs> Yeah. So, so I'll bring something new so the kids will understand what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's 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 like you know everybody's the black to... mirror. The black mirror. Yeah. Okay. 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 <laughs> yeah. All right. Um so yeah, you know, I'm glad that we got a chance to to talk, even if it, it felt kind of to me like we were just, you know barely at the tip of the iceberg because there's so much more that i think that we could all say so maybe we might need to do like a part two <laughs> you know i mean i i'm open to exploring some themes you know we could we could go like okay let's talk about mexican historietas no uh yeah we can do one about that that's less about me and more about what i somewhat know about that you know i have um we can do that too or Mexican, you know, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, sure. My dad will love the Caliman kind of <laughs> yeah. going back there. Caliman. We're still waiting for the movie. Aguila Solitaria. Yeah, those are difficult. Yeah. Yeah. El Santo. Yeah, actually, that, that might actually be a really cool workshop, you know, for us to, yeah. to consider. Yeah. Hay un libro, hay un libro así de gordo que es un manual de cómo hacer historietas que se llama La Historietica. La Historietica. Oh. Uh, uh, un amigo mío que, que hace historietas en México tiene una copia. Yo he estado tratando de conseguir una, pero tengo la última vez que fui le saqué fotos y todo. Entonces, ese es bien curioso porque es un manual, es como de, no sé si alguna vez han visto el de How to Draw Comics the Marvel Way by Stanley. Uh, yeah. It's like that, but for Calimán and Barotonga and El Águila Solitaria. So it's like, it's completely different. But it's a manual of like how to, you know, do it that way. So that it looks the way they That would be a good point uh, to start with. If we do ever a workshop, we can use that kind of as a template and yeah. also to show it. If you manage to find out the, the actual uh, hard copy or whatever, that will be great. But if not, we can use the photos in a slideshow or something. I, do, I, I did that. And I, I also have like, you know, from my collection of... Uh, historietas that goes back to like forever i have some really cool like i have some really cool caliman covers where mm -hmm. uh you know it's like dr doom actually just messing up caliman or caliman saving princess Le leia but it's not like they were dr doom or princess leia they were just being um swiped the, the term is swiped like. from 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 you know the, the American influences was starting to come in uh, in some way more strongly and that kind of wiped out all these publications from the Mexican market later uh, during NAFTA. Uh, we ended up uh, just keeping the, the Libro Semanal de Melodramas uh, and the Libro Vaquero and the Sensacionales, which are the launchy uh, 
crunchy adventures. Yeah, yeah the specialized ones. <laughs> yeah, that's the hard part of the globalization, right? When it becomes kind of more taking from other countries and basically denying what you're own country is creating because there's always that kind of perception of something's better than so on but and that's some, part of the system of education and, and the government's trying yeah. to and then sometimes it's just, it's just the spirit of business right sometimes it's just the publishers are like you know what uh for my de demo it's gonna be cheaper for me to pay for the license of batman that keep doing whatever you know that just kind of that at some point yeah, yeah that makes sense too it's culture right there's sometimes it's not even that thought through uh, consequences no but it's i don't think that like i think many people think like that's an evil genius at certain and some layer in dc or whatever thinking of these big ways of plotting or whatever but sometimes mm -hmm. it's just the the basically domino effect of things that you were saying. Like, for example, we have the Cine de Oro in Mexico because of the war. The war in the United States was allowing that to happen. Then when the, the war ended, the actors and the movies all came back. And so people forgot about the movie theaters in Mexico. And then we have all these Terminators and all these other movies that replace the Mexican movies, which we ended up with the crappy movies that we all know. <laughs> they're cheesy well, making movies <laughs> I think there's a lot of cinema there that just didn't get the right budgets and the right distribution that was made and I'm talking about some of those you might call them crappy but they are not they are just you know made with what they had and there's 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 actually there's a, there's a there's a there's an uninterrupted thread of even entertaining level Mexican cinema. I, You know, one of the things I like about this guy, Guillermo del Toro, is that he's able to point us back to that stuff. And he goes like, these movies are great. And you go and watch them and they are great. And they are not the anters that were making it to Cannes because Mexico's always had those, right? Uh, even, you know, like back then before before the 80s and the 90s. But, uh, but movies that were neglected by high culture as like cheap entertainment that were actually better than the uh high culture accepted entertainment movies that were being done uh elsewhere at the time sometimes it's like it's just kind of sometimes the execution the execution didn't look as expensive or whatever mm -hmm. but then then there's the the business decisions of why to give them the money and why to distribute them are not necessarily inspired by you know things like the war and stuff like that it's just that it, history has to be written based on actual facts about all that kind of stuff because that there i don't even know what happened you know it's um it, it was somebody made the deliberate decision that to not spend money on cinema entertainment in mexico and it might have to be with you know who knows something to you know, figure out how they did it and maybe there's some like crazy dealings there you know that happened okay yeah it's... that's for sure <laughs> uh yeah i mean the other day i was watching a old vicente fernandez movie um este, i can't think of the name of it right now 
um but yeah like the the storyline itself was very um I, I mean it felt like a novel you know it felt like it was something that was adapted from a novel you had a very clear character arc you know you had conflict throughout and pero también era como pues, a Vicente Fernandez movie you know so some of those you watch him and the, the you know the, the Spanish language using there is like yeah. way more sophisticated than what you get today in you know I don't know like a opinion based piece in a Mexican newspaper you know it's like crazy like it's crazy um, recently just just a final shout out right uh, um, you know there's this place in uh i don't know it's wilshire and fairfax or something like that la brea i don't know called the academy museum right there um, oh, the new one lacma right and they have a very nice movie theater there and they screen things and you go there on a saturday or sunday and for seven dollars you watch like prints of like stuff that you've you would have never watched in a movie theater ever again, or you have never watched it in a movie theater ever. Uh, like a lot of like Mexican, they, they just had a, a cycle of uh, Mexican horror movies that went all the way back to the 1930s to, you know, uh, the 1990s. And uh, just like, Picking up the gems, right? And with like a talk of this is how it was produced. This is who was the production designer and the makeup artist and how they did it. And this is the whole the history of these people in the history of uh, uh, Mexican production, right? It's so interesting. And you watch the movies, you go watch the movies and that happens. You just go like, oh my God. And you see that some of them are actually doing stuff that's not just uniquely good and entertaining but also uh, on scene like in terms of playing with with the with the with the with the with the language of cinema you know stuff that you were like wow and stuff that you might have watched in the tv when you were a kid in mexico on a saturday but really you were there was this one with oh i don't know if you guys are familiar with people which was like a comedian singer the ranchero, the ranchero this like he was like you know if, even as a kid i would be like oh my god that's embarrassing the kind of thing that your grandma would want to watch right there's this movie it's like it's like a sci-fi it's like a it's like a sci-fi zombie vampire monster movie with him at the center and you just go like you watch it and it it actually makes sense you know the only thing that's terrible is the makeup of the monsters and even that it's so funny to look at it's like you know why do you elevate ed wood and not whoever made this thing no. right right it's, it's just because they are you know falling into this oblivion of forgetfulness or whatever so it's very interesting that kind of stuff recommend that uh uh cycle that took place at that Museum. I think that museum is it's cool in that regard. They make these screenings that are something to look for. I'm definitely going to copy this one. I think you're the third person who has said, go for it, go for it. I'm like, okay. Let's <laughs> cool, man. Well, um, like I said, I think we could probably talk for hours. It sounds like it's the, because we're all like the la misma onda, no? And um, 
Yeah, but uh, but yeah, I, I want to just say again, you know, thank you, Tokayo, for uh, for joining us for this this episode of the Art Block Podcast. Um, do you have any like place where people can can stay up to date aside from your website? You want to throw out there? It's just mostly that uh, cartoondistortion.com has links to both uh, the store where I sell my books, which is called cartoondistortion.limitedrun.com, and the social media that I use to kind of throw out what's going on, like new films or new books or whatever activities or being on panels or go to art book first or simfest, which is instagram.com slash cartoon dash distortion or something like that the links are there on top of the cartoon distortion.com so you cannot it, it's it's all there uh yeah exactly. make sure you uh for everybody out there listening or watching you know make sure you go check out uh that's at cartoon slash or dash distortion okay. yeah at cartoon and i want to make a newsletter one day but i'm that's 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 serious work yeah it can yeah. yeah like once a month you write about something you know like a little <laughs> with yeah. that'd be great yeah well yeah so yeah thanks again Pokayo. um you know we'll uh we'll obviously be in touch about you know the the next thing that that we we come up with you know whether that be the workshop definitely the art block zine um you know we'll, Sounds great. we'll be in touch about that este, yeah for everybody listening and, and following along, you know, make sure that you also follow at DSTLARTS at Distal Arts on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, uh, also on our YouTube channel. Make sure you like, subscribe, and do all the things, you know, to, to help our following continue to grow. And, you know, as a, you know, just humble little nonprofit, we thank you for, for being part of our audience, you know, and, and uh, joining our arts fam. So thanks again, Tokayo. Oh, thank you for having me. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, looking forward to more. Igual. So, peace out, everybody. Vemos. Bye. Bye.